Awesome. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. My name is Randy, and uh, we are stoked. Welcome to opening day. Uh, as you heard uh, David say, we're really, really glad you're here. Uh, I am the campus pastor here, and uh, th- thank you, thank you. Uh, it's a crazy, crazy exciting day for us, a-, a day that a whole bunch of people, both that are here this morning and people kind of scattered all over the place, really all over the world. A whole bunch of people have been uh, planning for and working towards and praying for for well over a year. And uh, before we dive into the scriptures this morning, I just wanted to spend a a couple of seconds just uh, thanking a couple of people. So uh, our church is actually a part of a family of churches. We're one church that meets in multiple locations. Uh, And so today we are the the number 12, the 12th campus uh, of our multi-site church meeting all over all over the place. So um, we actually have eight campuses uh, in Southern California, and then we have one in Puerto Rico and two uh, in Africa. And so uh, because of our other campuses and the people at those churches and their campus pastors and their leaders, uh, because of, we have a central team that's a huge part of resourcing and helping and supporting all of our campuses, uh, because of the generosity of people giving and praying and all that stuff, people that you probably, many of whom you'll never meet, uh, those people have all made this possible. And so, uh, man, it's just so, so humbling to be a part of something uh, that, that's multiplying uh, all over the country. And so it's really cool. Uh, also, uh, this morning, I just want to take a second and, and honor a couple of people. Pastor Moses Camacho is our executive pastor, and he's over here on the front row. Um, as well as our founding and lead pastor, Pastor Chris Songson, is here in the front row as well. And so because of their leadership and their passion and their vision, uh, this, this happens. It's happening all over the place. And, uh, and I just wanted to say to both of you, thank you so much uh, for trusting us with this opportunity because uh, this is our very first campus for South Hills in the U.S. outside of California. Uh, so it's a big deal for us uh, at South Hills. So thank you both for the opportunity uh, to be able to be a part of this. So lastly, I just wanna give a quick shout out to all the peeps, the local peeps that are on our team here. Um, those people have worked really, really hard and sacrificed so much. And uh, I just wanna say how much, uh, how much I love you, how much Hansi and I love you. And uh, we're, we're forever indebted to you because of how, how much you've given and sacrificed to help today happen. And so thank you so much. So today, as uh, you heard David say, is not only our opening day, as you, uh, as you heard him talk about, it also kicks off family month, which happens every October for us in South Hills. And my wife, Hansi, was on the keyboards this morning. She, she has the different colors hair. Uh, and uh, her and I have been married for 25 years. And uh, yeah, yeah, you can applaud for that, um, applaud, especially for her. Um, she made it and, uh, the, you know, she's, it's too late now. It's too late now for you to get out. So uh, we have four incredible kids. We have a picture, I think, of them, uh, the whole crew. There they are. Um, oh, I know. Yep, one of them's Chinese. We're not even sure how that happened. Um, and so actually uh, all of our kids are adopted and uh, it's been an amazing journey and a ton of fun along the way. And last year we were actually driving in the car. Uh, so, you know, Jaron is the oldest there. He's 19. We have a daughter who's 17 back at, she's running the slides. And, and then we have a 10 year old, the, the Kai, who's the, the little Chinese guy, he's 10. And uh, then we have a five year old. And so um, we were driving in the car last year. We were li- living in California. And when you live in California, some of you might know this, uh, you spend a lot of time in the car because it just takes forever to get anywhere you want to go. 
uh, and our little guys it was kind of we were coming home from a long day and they were in the back and and, um, and, and if you have kids, you, you probably do this too, but we have these little games that we play in the car to kind of occupy the kids. And so they were in the back and, and I saw uh, uh, Kelton, who's our, our youngest, kind of yawn. And so we started playing this game where it's like, you know, raise your hand, you know, if you're tired. And so, you know, that's me, raise your hand if, you know, and then they start going, raise your hand if, you know, if you love McDonald's, you know, the, you know we're just going back and forth. And it goes through a few rounds. And finally, um, my, our son, Kai, who's 10, he said, raise your hand if you're super chubby. Raise your hand, dad, that one's for you. So that's been kind of my experience as a dad, kind of in a nutshell right there. So but all month long, we're talking about families and relationships and parenting. And whether you're a parent or not, you're still a human being and you still have a family and you still have relationships. And a lot of the stuff that we're gonna be talking about all month long, uh, the stuff that we're gonna be learning together really applies to all of us in all of our relationships. Uh, and the truth is when it comes to family, like we may not all agree on how, like how, how you should go about it, doing it, how you should raise kids, how you should, you know, what's the the right way to have, you know, relationships. But most of us agree on what, what it is we're trying to do because we all want families and relationships that are happy and healthy and life-giving. And so no matter what, no matter what your relationship status is, if you're, you know, swiping right right now or, you know, whatever's going on in your life, you know, no matter how your family's constructed, I really, really think, and I really hope you'll see um, that you'll get a lot out of this month if you'll just commit and stick with it. And so we just wanna invite you to, come, you know, to be a part of, uh, of everything that's happening this month and invest in your family that way. In fact, all the stuff that's in your seat, it's all free. There's a little stress ball there. You know, you might, if you have teenagers, you might wanna take two of those. Um, there's, uh, there's little just family month swag. So your kids over, if you have kids over in the kids program, they're getting a little wristband that says family month. And it's just a great opportunity to have conversations with your kids about your family and about investing in your family. And then like David said today, um, we have a petting zoo and some balloons and some other stuff outside afterwards. So uh, if we could just have like a, a moment of honesty this morning, how many, how many have watched an above average amount of Netflix or TV or movies this year. Anybody being willing to, okay, that for sure. Like that, that's, you're, you're normal. You're, you're, you know, you're in good company. Um, and and I, I noticed earlier, you know, a couple months ago that Netflix was adding some older movies on there. And so recently I've been kind of watching some movies that are a little bit older. like I watched Sleepless in, the, in Seattle and I, um, I tried to watch it with my wife, but she fell asleep, but I was like crying at the end, you know, like I was like nudging her, you're missing the best part. They end up together in New York. It was awesome. So don't judge me. I like those movies. Uh, but I've also been watching the show Cobra Kai. I don't know if anybody's been watching that. Uh, so it's like the Karate Kid. Anybody remember the Karate Kid movie? So it's the Karate Kid 30 years later. Uh, it, it came out, that movie came out way back in the 1900s and, uh, and it was awesome. And uh, I, I remember when the, like watching the original and I loved it, but I remember when Karate Kid 2 came out and I was so disappointed, not because the fighting wasn't as good, but because Daniel's girlfriend, Allie, wasn't in it. Anybody, like any, any, any guys, any boys, like you just were like, Allie was my crush. 
But the 80s were chock full of teen movies, right? There's The Breakfast Club and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which really gave a whole generation permission to play the, the air guitar. Uh, there's Pretty in Pink and Back to the Future and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Goonies and on and on and on it goes. But no matter when you grew up, like we all had certain movies that we were drawn to when we were in junior high and high school. And, and even though most of those movies kind of follow the same formula, no matter when they came out, they just keep churning them out because something about them kind of resonates with people. And the, the plot is sort of loosely in all of them, right? You have, you have kids that just kind of want to have fun and fit in. You have parents that are well-meaning, but sort of clueless. Uh, then something happens that sort of takes the parents out of the picture for a little while, preoccupies them. The kids are left to their own devices. Then things sort of spiral out of control. Then the parents re-enter the story and realize their kids aren't who they thought they were. Right? Things break down in the family and in the relationships and get all dramatic and there's lots of fighting and tears. But then everybody has this epiphany and this revelation and the parents just remember how tough it was to be a teenager and the, the teenagers realize that the adults aren't all complete idiots and everybody hugs it out and they all move forward in a, just a brand new way in their family. Uh, that's every single one of those movies, right? And, and when we watch those things, we, we kind of fall into one of two categories where, where we, we either relate to and identify with the kids or we relate to and identify with the parents. Because when you're a kid, the movies are comedies, but when you're a parent, they feel a little bit more like horror stories because uh, you're just like imagining what could possibly go wrong. Because what's, what's funny on screen when it happens to someone else, it's not really that funny when it happens in real life to you and to your family. I don't, is anybody willing to, to admit that they've reached the age where they've actually uttered the three words, kids these days? Anybody, anybody reached that age? Yeah, my wife should put up both of her hands. I think it's right about 40, like once. So if you're under 40, you probably haven't said it yet. You hit 40, you're, trust me, it's coming. You're gonna look around, you're gonna start shaking your head, kids these days. Uh, and, and it's really kind of, it's easy for us to look around at our culture, right? Look around at the world around us and to kind of shake our heads and wring our hands and, you know, and, and, and get stressed out about where the world is, is headed. But if we're honest, some of why we struggle, especially as parents, to parent our kids really well is because we all struggle, well, honestly, to parent ourselves well. And, and, and because so many of the things that concern us about our kids, if we were honest, we're guilty of ourselves. Because growing up isn't about age, it's not even about the times in which we live, it's really just a matter of maturity. And a huge part of maturity is like actually learning to prioritize what is good over what just feels good. And so if we're off track, how do we get back on track or how do we even find the track to begin with? And, and, and when we look around the world around us, it, it's easy to kind of look around and go, man, it's, it'd be great if we could just get back to the good old days. But I wanna take you to a place in the scriptures that actually happened several thousand years ago. And it's one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. And what you'll see in this story is that some of the stuff we're talking about here was actually some of the same issues that was going on in this story. Although it's, it, it's, it's a story about a nation and not just a family, but when we read it, um, I think you'll see it kind of plays out like one of those classic teen movies. And so uh, I want to start by reading a couple of verses out of Exodus chapter 24. It's in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along or you have the Bible app, you can follow along or uh, the scriptures will be on the screen for you to be able to read as well. 
Uh, and so in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, it says this, as the Lord says to Moses, come up on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone uh, with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction, speaking of the nation of Israel, the people that Moses is leading. Uh, and then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, they're in charge and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So this is the moment that, that in just you know, a couple of chapters, you know, the very, a few chapters later, um, God is going to give the 10 commandments to Moses. So this is a really famous story in the, in the uh, Old Testament. So Moses, the, the leader of the, the nation of Israel, he's kind of this firm disciplinarian. He leaves, he leaves the people, the, you know, the angelic kids, the people he's responsible for, to step away for a few days with his assistant Joshua to go up on the mountain, have this conversation with God and God's gonna give them the 10 commandments. And they leave, they, he leaves the people with, you know, what could be described as kind of their pushover older brother in this guy, Aaron, and he leaves him in charge. And, and, and you can kind of sense that he's going, what could go wrong? They know what to do. Like we've been through a lot. They've seen God do a lot. They know the right thing. Like we've, we've been through this. They know how to behave. They know what, the, you know, what God expects. They know what's expected of them. Uh, but things don't go anything like what they thought, what he thought they would. So check, check out a few uh, chapters later in Exodus chapter 32, uh, beginning with verse one, it says this. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. And so Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all of the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took, them, he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol and cast it into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they, they, then they said, these are your gods, Israel. They brought you up out of Israel or out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, which is just a great phrase. It's something that sounds like Thor would say, you know, we're indulging in revelries. Uh, but so in this story, you have Moses who goes up on the mountain and almost as soon as he leaves, it's almost as if they're watching him. He's going up the mountain, they're looking, they're looking, they're waiting. And almost as soon as he disappears around the bend, right? Someone clicks on the boom box in the background and the Beastie Boys, you got to fight for your right to party comes on and, you know, just the party comes out and it starts just playing in the background and things just go crazy. And so the people of Israel, they come to Aaron, who's the kind of responsible older brother in this scenario and, and the guy that Moses left in charge. And they come up with the most unoriginal idea ever. They decide to throw a raging party while the guy who's in charge is away. And it says, I love how it says that they even got up early in the morning so they could get a jump on the partying. Like, you know, you're committed to a party if you set your alarm to get up early to do it. And that's what these people did. Uh, and, and, but here's the deal. Throwing the party wasn't honestly, was not necessarily the problem. It was why they were doing it and how they went about it. Now, it, it might not seem like a big deal to you, but the one thing that the Jewish people were known for is worshiping one God, the one true God. And as soon as, you know, Moses, the dad, the leader, as soon as he leaves, 
they turn away from that and they make this other idol to kind of represent all the other gods of Egypt who, by the way, they were enslaved by for generations after generation and that God had just kind of delivered them from. And, and, and Aaron just decides that he wants to kind of keep the kids, he wants to do whatever he needs to do to, to make the kids happy, right? Which is something if you're a parent, like you, like you, that's, that's a constant tension we all feel. That's something that, that we see around us in our culture, right? We've maybe even said it a few times ourselves. Like, I just, I just want my kids to be happy because there's that tension, of, that temptation of giving kids what they want to just sort of placate them instead of what they actually need. When we traveled to China to adopt our son Kai, uh, the lady, the, the Chinese national who was hosting us there and kind of overseeing all the adoption process, um, she said to us, she said, um, she said, I love going to America because American children are just so well behaved. And I was like, what? And she went on to say, no, 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 I mean, I've been to America a lot. I, I know that sounds weird. She's like, but here, socially, it's not okay for kids to cry in public. It's not okay for them to throw fits. So parents will do whatever they have to do to just make them happy. And I was like, wow, like that. But isn't that, no, it's not just China. It's like wherever you go, if you're a parent, like you have that temptation to do what, you know, to, to give kids what they want instead of what they actually need. And, and honestly, it's not just for those of us who are parents. It includes those of us who don't have kids, but are actually just struggling to parent ourselves. Have you ever done something that you know you shouldn't do, but thought, I deserve this. I, I deserve to eat that. It's been a long week. I de- Nobody's ever done that? No one's, it's just me. So the party is raging and it's going all sorts of wrong. And then... Re-enter the dad, right? Re-enter Moses. Moses shows back up and this is what happens in verse 19. It says, when Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire and he ground it into powder and he scattered it on the water and he made the Israelites drink it. And he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. And they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and just out popped this calf. (laughs) So Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets, with the 10 commandments and literally walks in on the party And he gets so angry, he throws the tablets on the ground and breaks the tablets. You know, the ones that God had just written with his own finger and handed to him to take down to the people. So if you've ever lost your temper as a boss or as a parent or just in life, you're in good company because you probably didn't break the 10 commandments that God himself had just written with his own finger in stone and carved and handed to you that were fret, like still, like they were just steaming with the glory of God. And he just decided he was so angry and threw him down. You've probably never done that, right? And then he does what I think is the most dad move ever. 
um, because God didn't tell him to do this. So he just did it because he was, that sounded like a good idea. He smashes the idol and he grinds it up and he makes them drink it. Oh yeah, you want to, here, drink it, drink it all. You're all gonna drink it. I'm the only one that's ever had that, that moment as a dad. All right, you guys are not honest. I, I can see that. So Moses starts yelling at Aaron, like, dude, how could you? Aaron blames the people. You know how they get. And the people blame Moses. You left us, right? And it's this crazy intense moment, this crazy intense sort of family moment. Have you ever had that moment where people are completely frustrated and tempers are flaring and everybody's, you know, you're kind of feeling upset with the way that your family or your relationships or the things that the way things are headed and everybody's yelling and pointing fingers at each other and it was your fault and or, oh yeah, well you left and what about and, and, every, and it's just this chaos moment. No one's willing to take responsibility for where things are and the role that they played in how things got to this point. And everybody's freaking out. I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but man, I've been there. I've had those moments in my family. And, and Aaron's line is just the best. He's like, look, they gave me all their gold and all I did was throw it in the fire and the weirdest thing happened. This golden calf came out. I don't even know what happened. Have you ever had that experience where your kids are doing something they shouldn't be doing and you start like asking them questions, something got broke or somebody got hurt and they're just like, I don't, I mean, I accidentally jumped off the thing and elbowed them in the head, but it wasn't, in, it wasn't on purpose. All I did was top rope, you know, like, and I don't even know how that happened. That's, that's this moment that Aaron's, I don't know how it happened even though we read earlier that he made it with a tool, like he got out his tools and was like making this. And then he, when Moses came, I just threw it in there and it came out. I don't, I don't know. But here's the reality you already know. Behaviors only exist in environments that allow and excuse them, right? At, at work, in your family, in your relationships, we all get what we tolerate. We, we all get what we put up with. Behaviors in your life and in my life, the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you behave towards your kids, the way they interact with you, behaviors only exist in environments that allow them and excuse them, that permit them, right? And when you think about it, our families are the sum total of who we are and what we've chosen to allow. And that's true of how we parent our kids. But it's also true of how we parent ourselves as functioning adults wanting to have healthy relationships and contribute to society and be productive. Because right? it's, it's, a, it's a cliche in our culture, right? To talk about how hard adulting is. And it, it is not, it's not easy. But the truth is, is the stuff that makes it the hardest isn't the stuff out there. I mean, li life can be difficult. Life can be challenging. Work, you know, the stuff like... There is definitely, it's not that life is easy. Life can be stressful, but the stuff that makes adulting the hardest is not the stuff that's out there. It's the stuff that's in here. It's the stuff that's in here, right? It's not the stuff that life throws at me, even though it can be incredibly difficult to take. My biggest problem in adulting is not you. It's not my job. It's not my boss or my coworkers, or my neighbors, my biggest problem in adulting is me. 
It's me being accountable. It's me taking responsibility. It's me moving towards maturity. Now, here's the really good news, right? Our, our families, I don't know your background. I don't know your family of origin. Your family, your parents, maybe they didn't give you all the tools that you needed to, you know, to, to be the, the healthiest person as an adult. Or maybe they didn't give you all the tools you needed to, to be a parent yourself. Um, but, and, and we obviously don't have anyone parenting us if you're an adult. But we actually can learn to grow and mature towards health and get better. We can actually learn to parent ourselves, to tell ourselves no, to, to move towards what is good and not just what feels good, to actually get the help that we need, to get the tools that we need, to not put up with stuff that's self-destructive. Like we can actually learn to grow ourselves, to parent ourselves. And let's be honest, if you look around, you, this may be true of, uh, of your relationships you've had or people that you know, that most marriages that fail, they fail because one or both of the people involved many times haven't matured in certain ways. That's what it comes down to. Like it, but here's the deal. You can't force your marriage to get healthy, but you can choose to grow and mature and become healthy yourself. Right? Some of us struggle with friendships over and over and over again because we just never learned how to set healthy, set healthy boundaries. And so we keep churning through people and friends and kind of hoping that one sticks and, and you can just keep up that cycle or you can actually choose to grow, to parent yourself, to mature, to become healthy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, the, uh, this, the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament and had this incredible encounter with Jesus himself while he was traveling on this road uh, to go persecute Christians, um, he, he actually... Uh, began after that moment, began to travel all over the world and start churches and start the movement of, uh, you know, advance the movement of Jesus forward. And, and, and then he would write letters back to those churches. And that's what a good chunk of the New Testament is. And so in 1 Corinthians, that's one of his letters that he wrote to uh, a, a bunch of churches in an area called, in a city called Corinth. And in, in chapter 13, um, it's known as the love chapter. He's writing about how love behaves. And this is what he says. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. I, I wonder how many of us have held on to the, the way that we thought, the way we responded to authority, the way we respond to people, the way we respond to conflict. I wonder how many of us are still operating in those, the, those things that were handed to us when we were kids. And it's short-circuiting our relationships. He's going, look, the way that love, love takes responsibility for itself. And when I, when I was a child, I thought this way and I acted this way and I reasoned this way and I talked this way. But now that I've grown up, I've matured and I'm, I'm changing. I've, I've actually changed how I've approached people because that's what love does. See, being a grown-up isn't just about having a job or buying a house or getting married or, or even having kids because the truth is, you can do all those things and still be really immature. And you may even know some people like that where you're just like, I'm not sure. It's like a kid raising kids. I'm not sure that was a good idea. But being a grown-up means we can actually stop pretending that we're perfect and we don't need to grow emotionally or spiritually. Being a grown-up means that we can actually begin to be honest with ourselves. Being a grown-up means we care more about reality than just pretending. Being a grown-up means that we care more about who we're becoming than what we appear to be to other people. Being a grown-up means that we embrace accountability and we take responsibility for our lives. And certainly part of being a grown-up means that we care more about what God thinks than what other people think. 
And, and when those things begin to happen in our life, it changes everything. Now, there's one other part of the story that I want you to see before I finish. When Moses left, um, he thought that they knew what was expected of them. After all, they knew the rules. They, they had been through a lot by the time this moment happens. Moses had explained to them many times what was, it, what was expected of them. God has spoken to them many times through Moses what was expected, how they should behave. But they ended up doing the exact opposite. They, they ended up, he was like, look, this is the way you should go. This is the way you should be. This is how it should look like when I'm gone. And then he left and they were over here doing this thing and they did all the opposite. I don't know if you've ever experienced that with your kids, but I certainly have. You're like, okay, now do this, 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 and this. And they walk away and they go do all the opposite stuff. And then you're like, I don't understand. Have you ever said like, you know better to your kids? You know better than to do that. I, I think I said that yesterday. The, the reality is we actually learn far more from experiences though than we do explanations because there's different types of knowing, right? Like, like you can be told something is hot. You can know it's hot in your head, but when you touch it, then you know, right? You, you actually know it's hot. A few years ago, we were, um, we were rafting and uh, I was rafting with some friends and, and we were living in Northern California and um, we had rafted down the North Fork of the American River a few times. It's a lot of fun. And uh, there's all these great rapids and they have all weird names. And, you know, it's like Satan's cesspool. And, you know, it's like, I don't, who named that? And there's like Son of Satan and then Hospital Bar. And, you know, they try to make them all like scary. And, um, but there's this one part about halfway through the runs uh, where it's Jumper's Rock. That one was very unoriginal and because you just climb up and people jump off of it. And the river's kind of deep there and, and the rock, I don't know, is about 15, 20 feet high. And when you're in the water looking up, you're like, that's ah, not that bad. Yeah, you could do that. Like I could, could do that with my eyes closed. And so uh, we had gone down a couple times, I'd seen it. And then, and then my brother was with, me, with us this time, my little brother. And he was like, dude, I'm going up there and I'm not gonna let my little brother best me. And so I was like, I'll jump off a jumper's rock. I mean, I've done it many times in my imaginations. And, um, and so we climb up there and I realized when we got up there, there was no climbing back down. You're wet and the rock is slippery. There's only, when you get up there, there's only one way down and that's jumping. And so we went and it's a lot higher from the top than it is from the bottom. And so I was like, oh. Okay, so I did what any self-respecting uh, man would do. I made my little brother go first. I was like, dude, you, you go. So he was just like full abandon, run, jumps off, jumps. And uh, I, like, I knew it was high, but until I, got, until I got up there and was experiencing it, I didn't realize how high it is, how high it was. So fortunately um, I jumped and I died. And um, <laughs> look, we all know what it's like to know something, but then to experience it and to really know it. And, and what that means in our relationships and our families is that like, we're better off showing, demonstrating, modeling than just telling our kids and people, telling the people what we want, right? Like our priorities and our attitudes and our values are far more caught than they are taught. Right? And what we all know is true, but we try to fight, right? Is that, that you, can, you can teach what you know, but you're actually gonna reproduce who you are in every situation. I can tell my kids all day long to be nice and be respectful, but if I'm a jerk face all the time, they're gonna be jerk faces. 
And the question that Moses and Aaron really didn't want to wrestle with or ask themselves, and maybe more importantly, that that we don't want to wrestle with is like, what is it that's in me that's creating that in them? Am I telling them this, but showing them that with my life? We were driving when my daughter is who's 17, so this is about 11 years ago. She, uh, maybe she was even younger than that. Maybe it was about 13, 14 years ago. She was four or five years old. We were in the car, we're all driving, and, uh, and she was sitting in the back seat, in her car seat, and, uh, and we were coming up to a light, and a guy pulled out. He didn't really pull out in front of me, but my, my, my daughter, my four-year-old, five-year-old, sweet, innocent, beautiful little daughter goes, what's that idiot doing? And I was like, I don't know where she heard that. I have no idea how that happened. Dr. Tim Elmore, um, he, he said this. He said, kids have a much better chance of growing up if their parents have done so first. Whew, man, that, that hurts, right? And, and here's the deal. We all know that do as I say, not as I do never works. We hated it when our parents or our older siblings or our boss or whoever it was said it, did it, said and did it to us. We saw through the, the hypocrisy when they did it, right? And, and, and it doesn't work when we do it, right? It, we read a verse earlier from the Apostle Paul in one of the letters he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. And earlier in that letter, he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. He said, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. What an absolute, incredible sort of show-stopping thing for a human being to say. And I don't know about you, but when I read those words, it, it first blush, it almost feels a little arrogant. I mean, it's certainly the opposite of what most of us think. Most of us are like, no, 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 no. Like, look, don't for God's sake, do not copy or imitate me. Like, I am not a role model. Do not follow, don't, no, 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 don't do that. But this isn't Paul being arrogant, it's not. It's simply him leaning into reality. It's him embracing the responsibility of of maturity, right? It's him realizing that he's a leader. It's him realizing that the way that he lives impacts more. It's, it's, he's not just in living in a vacuum, but the way that his decisions and the way that he lives and his attitude, even in his attitude towards following Jesus, that, that, it, that it's influencing and it's impacting the people around him. He's going, don't just do what I say, do what I do. He's going, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but the thing that you're most often gonna see me do, and I'm not gonna do it perfectly, but you're most often gonna see me try to be like Jesus. Not just go to church, not just talk about God, but day by day, interaction by interaction, decision by decision, doing my best to live out the life and the love and the grace of Jesus. And the people around you look at you and the people around me look at me. When our kids look at us, when the people who live with you look at you, or the people who work with you look at your life. What do they see in you? When you're talking to somebody that you disagree with, what do they see? How do they see you respond when you're angry? How do they see you react when you're wrong? What do they learn when they look at how you prioritize your schedule in your life? What do they learn when they look at how you care for your home and your neighbors and your community and your church and total strangers? How do they see you trust God with your time and energy and talent, 
with your resources. See, the truth is we're all following somebody. And whether we like it or not or admit it or not, we're all being influenced and shaped by someone and we're all influencing and shaping other people. Make sure you're following someone who's worthy of imitating and make sure that your life is worthy of somebody following. Because the behaviors only exist in environments that allow them, support them, encourage them. For my wife and I, that's why South Hills matters to our family because this is an environment that pours into us and our kids to help us experience God, but to help us be better as human beings, to be better in our marriage, to be better as parents. This is an environment that encourages us towards who we wanna be, not just who we've been. And now here's maybe the best news of all. The primary way that God refers to himself in the scriptures in relationship to you and to me is as our father. See, God's ultimate goal for you isn't to try to get you to be perfect. Jesus was perfect, so you don't have to be. His goal for you and me isn't to get you to behave and stop sinning and just go to church. God's goal is to parent you and me towards health and maturity. His goal is that you would live in relationship to him and in his perfect love through his son, Jesus, because that is the, the environment where you will discover life and you will grow and you will mature and you will learn how to be healthy in all of your relationships. And the good news is that all of our relationships get better when we get better. That's That's what God wants for you, and that's our heart for you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today. Uh, What an exciting day. God, what a historic day for so many of us who have been planning and strategizing, praying and working. God, what a day for us to be able to celebrate your heart and your mission for the people of the Treasure Valley, that you love them, that you created them, that you want to invite them into relationship with you. God, that you are not wanting them to make them religious or get them to be perfect or stop sinning. Jesus came and he was perfect and was sinless and gave his life so that we could step into relationship with you. God, in this moment, Lord, as we think about our relationships and our families, God, we think about the tools we were handed from our family of origin. We think about just how difficult adulting is because of the own, our own dysfunction in our own hearts and lives. God, it, it's amazing that we have this hope that's in you. And so in this moment, God, I pray that you would pour hope out into the hearts and minds of every parent to everybody who's married, everybody that's figuring out a way to move and lead their family. And that ultimately, Jesus, that this would be the moment that we open our hearts and the starting point for all of us would be to step into relationship with the God who created us through his son, Jesus, by faith. 
But Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that you allow us. Thank you that you came to grow us to maturity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.